big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin today, we wanted to thank our newest patron, Tatiana. Welcome to the team. If you want to be like Tatiana and get access to outtakes, bonus episodes, my notes, screenshots of our group chat, and more, you can head on over to patreon.com slash pod and prejudice to see how you can support us. And now enjoy this week's episode covering episode one of the 1995 BBC masterpiece version of Pride and Prejudice starring Colin Firth and Jennifer Eel and guest starring our very first guest, Caroline Minx. I'm excited. This is so much cooler than a book report. Okay. (laughs) Why couldn't I just have done this in school? Molly's basically made a career out of doing a book report at this point. Honestly, I'm surprised that I didn't start a podcast in high school. See, we didn't have them. Well, I mean, they kind of existed when I was in high school, but I'm elderly, so not really. This is Molly. We're here to talk about Jane Austen. And we're here to talk about Jane Austen with a very special guest, our first ever guest. We have with us today Caroline Minx of probably like 16 different podcasts. (laughs) You've probably heard her voice before. Do you want to just like tell us what podcasts you work on or can hear your voice in? Yeah. Hi. I play Zahava on This Planet Needs a Name. I play Janine on Lighthearts and I help create that one. I'm going to play Bet on Seen and Not Heard, which isn't out yet, but it's coming. I play sort of myself on He's and Mink's Ghost Detectives. I'm Sister Mary and me, my demon, and I. I'm kind of all over the place, y'all. That's awesome. I actually don't remember all of what's No, we, we love a podcaster with a lot of variety. In every door. <laughs> yes, indeed. And I don't sound like this in any of them. No, I was so surprised when I first heard your voice, like your normal human voice, because <laughs> yeah. Zahava's voice is so like She's very stoic and calm and it's a deeper voice. She's very measured and I am not. So, <laughs> well then you'll fit in really well here with us. So, before we get into talking about Jane Austen because you are our first guest, uh, we wanted to ask you a couple questions about your experience with Jane Austen. So, the first question is, what is your relationship to Jane Austen? I've always loved Jane Austen like ever since I was little. I remember watching Sense and Sensibility with my mom like 37 times. <laughs> that was my starter Jane Austen thing. It was so good. That movie is so good. It's so good. And I was an English major in college, so there was a lot of reading Jane Austen, uh, specifically Pride and Prejudice. But I was a cocky college student, and I was like, I don't need to reread it. I'm fine. And then I failed a test. <laughs> and then I reread it. <laughs> But yeah, I grew up on it. That's awesome. I I also started with the Sense and Sensibility movie. And I love that we needed to bring a guest on to get an English major on this literature podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Question 
about um, the Sense and Sensibility movie, do you mean like the BBC Masterpiece version or is there a movie? I mean the one with uh, Emma Thompson and Kate Winslet. Oh, Emma Thompson. Oh, right. Yeah. We talked about and this Alan before. And Alan Rickman. And oh, Alan yeah. Rickman. I remember yeah. you. And Hugh Grant. And Hugh Grant. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Molly's not ready to watch this oh, movie, guys. Oh, Molly. I cannot wait for you to watch that movie. You're going to die. It's so good. It's really good. <laughs> I've been doing nothing but watching Hugh Grant movies for the past like week and a half. Oh my gosh. I, I think I've seen them all, except for that. Hugh Laurie is in it, too. And um, what's her name who plays Umbridge? Imelda and- Staunton. <gasps> yes, thank you. You're and- welcome. Yeah, oh, everyone's in it. Everyone's in it. It's amazing. It's a who's who. Yes. Wow, I love that. I love her. I love every single person that was just named so now I like want it to be a year and a half from now. Um, that that that's <laughs> strong in the category for next book we read is Sense and Sensibility because right yes. now we have a little bit of a a dichotomy going on between Emma or Sense and Sensibility next. We're we're still working that out, but Ooh, Emma's pretty good. We might do like a vote or something. Yeah, that's that's kind of our our current plan. Oh God, the Gwyneth Paltrow Emma. Oh, it's a good movie, but it's like it's fine. But my issue is the shoes she's wearing for the publicity photos. That was some 90s footwear. Oh my God. I owned those shoes as a little girl. I know those shoes. You can't fool me, Gwyneth. <laughs> That's amazing. Speaking of the wider Austin canon, our next question is, what's your favorite thing, book or movie, or adaptation for the modern era from the Austin canon? You can pick a favorite. It doesn't have to be the favorite. I thoroughly enjoy Bride and Prejudice, which is the Bollywood uh, adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. I I haven't watched it in a long time, but I remember thinking it was a blast. Oh, it definitely is. We're definitely planning to do an episode on that. That is up and coming for sure. It's great. It's so fun. I think I watched that on a loop for like a week. (laughs) (laughs) Truly incredible. The third is which Austin heroine or hero do you relate to the most? That's a hard question because I feel like if I... Tell the truth, it's going to be super basic. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I really did. I mean, just as a little kid, I always, like, I was such a Lizzie Bennet girl because, like, I don't know. I just, I feel like I got her. She was kind of in my head a lot. And I would, it was sort of a, like, what would Lizzie do in this moment kind of thing for me Uh, (laughs) when I was growing up. And people used to compare me to her when they found out that I liked Jane Austen. And... I don't, I don't know, though. I was always like, guys, you know I'm Emma, though. <laughs> like, let's be real here. Kind of gossipy, kind of always trying to set people up. Let's be honest. Ooh. I love that. I don't know anything, but I am excited. And also, like, it's really a nice compliment for someone to tell you that you're a Lizzie. I feel like oh, watching completely. this movie, especially, I was like, I'm looking at her and I'm like, I aspire to be like yes, that. Yes. But I know I'm a Bingley. <laughs> I do love a Bingley. Charles. We all came so for Bingley. Sweet. I was watching so the uh, adaptation last night with my boyfriend, and he was looking at him and just going, I'm him. I am Bingley. <laughs> and I was like, yes, that's yes, why correct. I date you. <laughs> yeah. Always date a Bingley. If you well, can. and Becca, you're like kind of a Jane a little bit. Oh, totally. Oh, stop. Just a little. Stop. I actually... My, I, without giving anything away about the books, the one I relate to the most is Eleanor from Sense and Sensibility. But oh, that is for one. a different point down the line <laughs> without giving anything away to little Miss Mullaby. Yeah. Oh, God. I just love her. This brings us to what we're discussing today, which is episode one 
of the BBC's adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, made in 1995, starring Colin Firth and Jennifer Eel. Is that how you pronounce that? I Googled it right before this podcast. Amazing. Look at you on <laughs> shit already. Good, because I actually didn't know. <laughs> so this was Molly's first watching experience of any of the Pride and Prejudice adaptations. And I just wanted to start off with both Caroline and Molly giving them a little bit of a facts about the movie before we go into the discussion of the movie. So this adaptation was produced by a woman named Sue Bristol, and Andrew Davies wrote the screenplay of it, and it was directed by Simon Langton. Now, when they made this adaptation, they basically said that even though there were a lot of adaptations of Pride and Prejudice out there, they wanted to make an adaptation that caught the sides of Pride and Prejudice that are often lacking in more proper adaptations, and that included sex and money. Mm. And (laughs) they initially did not see Colin Firth in the role of Mr. Darcy, but then in time, Colin Firth became so iconic as Mr. Darcy that he ended up becoming the definitive Mr. Darcy, and Molly thought she had seen him play Mr. Darcy when she had not seen this movie. Indeed. (laughs) I was really surprised when Keira Knightley wasn't in this movie, although I did, I was um, sending pictures of the actress who plays Lizzie in this to my friends and saying, like, oh my god, she's so hot, I'm in love with her, blah, 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 Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they were all like, she kind of looks like Keira Knightley, and I was like, I don't know, and they were like, bone structure. Okay, I said the same thing, though, watching it last night. I said, I was like, you know she kind of has the same sort of thing going on. And and that's, yeah, that's funny that we both said that. Yeah, it's definitely a similar vibe, though I will say I think that the difference, although, again, well, I have seen the Kira Knightley version, but, like, I truly don't remember a single thing except for that I thought Colin Firth was in it. Um, <laughs> I think her thing is a little bit more, Kira Knightley's more sultry than yeah. Jennifer Eel. Jennifer Eel's kind of, like, impish and, like, mm-hmm. has this, like, spark in her eyes, and I love her so much. And fun fact, she is also in Fifty Shades of Grey. What? <laughs> wait. Yeah, I don't oh, know who she what? plays, but she's in it. Yeah, wait, I yeah. don't know who she plays either. I remember watching Contagion and just being like, is that fucking Lizzie Bennet? Like, wait a minute. <laughs> she's in that too, Lizzie right? Bennet is isolating the, <laughs> the virus. <laughs> <laughs> that movie is far too relevant right now. I know. Oh, God. Maybe Elizabeth Bennett is just here to save us all. (laughs) She was in Fifty Shades of Grey. She played Carla Adams. I have no idea who that is. Okay, Carla. (laughs) (laughs) She was also in The King's Speech with Colin Firth. Oh, Oh, I remember that. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a good movie. And I I think, like, I remember, we're going to get to this in the 2005 version, but there's a chance she makes a cameo in the 2005 I don't remember for sure. One of our listeners can maybe confirm that. Wow. I love that. I love her. She's so beautiful. She's, oh God, she's so beautiful. There's one shot that I I paused it and I just said, they knew exactly what they were doing with that lighting. My word. (laughs) Just. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. I, I strive to have looks of disdain on my face that are that endearing. With, like, the sunlight coming through your hair and just, oh, my God. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Happy Pride, y'all. This is just going (laughs) to turn into the gaze meltdown over (laughs) Jennifer Yell podcast. (laughs) Just for anyone who's listening, this has now turned into a Jennifer Eel stan podcast and will not be switching back at any point in time. (laughs) If you want to come on the show, Jennifer Eel, you're welcome. Jennifer, if you want to come on this podcast, 
Caroline is a great first guest. Jennifer. But <laughs> Jennifer, are you out there? <laughs> Jennifer, are you listening? Have me back if you get her. Yeah. Oh, deal. Yes. Absolute deal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the last thing I'll say about this adaptation of Pride and Prejudice before we dive into plot is that this adaptation is so famous that certain lines in it have become quotable and people believe that they are the actual lines from the book. In many ways, it has supplanted the international consciousness as the definitive Pride and Prejudice adaptation. Fascinating. I will say watching it and then reading through your notes and you like commented on something like what does it mean to have this said by this character and I wrote back it wasn't said by that character initially because it made so much sense <laughs> so we'll, we'll get into it so let's get into it yeah let's so this movie begins or this episode rather of the BBC masterpiece begins with some very excellent Regency era music that I love and we get to see some embroidery happening which is like all of the times in the book where they're just like sitting hanging out they're embroidering and so we get that right off the bat yeah that was my first question it's like how do you feel about the opening title to the film well I really like it <laughs> I really do I think it gives a good like it gets us into it it gets us into the era which is like sometimes really hard to picture when you're reading a book or at least for me I'm like I'm just picturing the humans not like what they're wearing or where they are what music they're listening to or what they're doing though I did want to note that there is a Bonham Carter in this movie <laughs> yeah yes that is Crispin, Crispin Bonham Carter How, what's his relation to Helena that's a good question I believe brother is he I'm gonna google that but that makes sense for their age Crispin Bonham Carter is the son of Peter Bonham Carter and Clauda Greenwood and grandson of Rear Admiral Sir Christopher Bonham Carter he is the third cousin once removed of Helena Bonham Carter, so maybe not. That literally just sounded like you were going through the family tree in this movie. Like, this sounds like when they're sitting around talking about, like, yeah. and yeah. whose estate is that? And how are they related? Yes. Like, the Bonham Carter estate is entailed <laughs> upon Crispin. And uh, oh fun fact, my second cousin twice removed is Gene Wilder. Oh, that's pretty good. Really? Indeed. Oh, wow. I'm in some way related to Sting. I have no idea what way, but apparently. That's amazing. Oh, dang. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Say that it's your cousin. Yeah. <laughs> I have no clue. Everyone I'm related to who's cool is, like, deceased now. Like, my great-great-grandpa climbed into the cage at the Central Park Zoo and got his hand eaten by a bear. What? Hold that's up. like my Hold coolest We need that to be the podcast. Tell me that story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, like, a whole thing. <laughs> My ancestor got his hand eaten by a bear. Why did he crawl into the cage? He liked to feed them. With his hand. Oh, I'm going to write a movie about that man. Yes. It's going to be the next Tiger King. So um, anyway, <laughs> back to this podcast. Yeah, but I really did. I do love that opening scene. And then we also get scene one is kind of like, it's like a pre-book scene scene where we get to see Bingley and Darcy checking out Pemberley. And I put hashtag not in the book. Nice. <laughs> Bingley asks Darcy's opinion on Pember, uh, not Pemberley. I'm sorry. <laughs> Where are we going? Netherfield. Netherfield. It's not at last. Bingley asks Darcy's opinion on Netherfield. And Darcy says, you'll find the society something savage. And then Bingley's like, well, no, the country bumpkins, I love them. Blah, blah, blah. God, I love Bingley. And then, so this, like, what what this achieves is that we immediately see Bingley seeking Darcy's approval, mm -hmm. needing 12 opinions mm -hmm. as it goes. Absolutely. And it also establishes that Sunny 
versus uh, sullen disposition. Oh, sweet, sweet baby boy Bingley with his stupid smiles. (laughs) He's just like always, he's so cute. I know our listeners can't see me, but I'm like doing his face. He's like a curly fry come to life. You know what I mean? Just like lovely and you're happy to see it. You're like, I'm glad this is here. I love him. That is exactly accurate. And Darcy's standing next to him like a sullen baked potato. <laughs> like with nothing on it. No salt. No sour cream. Nothing. No. He doesn't even get chives. No olive oil, baby. He's just standing there like brown and mad. A little dry. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh my God. And Bingley has ketchup. Okay. <laughs> Wait, someone needs to make a meme series of, or like a thread on Twitter of just like Jane Austen's characters as potatoes. Oh, I'm on it. I'm on it. Thank God. <laughs> I will make that happen. That is really the most important thing one could possibly do with potatoes. They're such a versatile starch. So while this is happening, though, Lizzie's watching them from Longbourn. And this is where I said, let's talk about what it means to start with the men. It really, I mean, I guess it centers them as the like story. Mm-hmm. Like foreshadow? Yeah, and it kind of, it shows like their arrival is very much going to be what drives a lot of the plot. It's not, it, this wouldn't have, you know, none of this would have happened, obviously, if they hadn't showed up. But yeah, it is kind of like, hi, um, this usually starts with the girls. <laughs> yeah, like, why are we making this about them? I, I mean, it is about them, like you said, but. It's about them, but why is it about them? Right. <laughs> it also sets up like uh, a thing that happens in the movie versus the book, I think, which is in the book, it starts with Mama and Dada Bennett. Mama and Dada Bennett. <laughs> Dada. Mrs. and Daddy Bennett. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> and they are talking about the men arriving. Yes. Yes. Whereas we see the men arriving in this part. I did have a note here as we like get into seeing the ladies. So we, we watched Lizzie watching them and then she runs home and we get to see an introduction to the Bennett household. And my first note is that their empire waist dresses kind of all look like they're wearing PJs all the time. They look so comfy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so upsetting because I'm pretty sure they're wearing corsets underneath them. I know. Wait, for real? Come on. What's the point of the empire waist dress if you're going to wear a corset under it? Yeah. It's all about highlighting the boobs. If you couldn't tell. Mm-hmm. They they love a bosom. They, yes. they love a bosom, man. Well, I have to say that most of their bosoms are, it lo- they, they don't do a good job, in my opinion, because they're, they're little, little boobs. I could go off kind of on a costumer tangent a little bit. Oh, please do. Yeah, we love that. I'm no expert or anything, but I, I've worked in theater my whole life, and my, my mother-in-law is a costumer. And we will sit, and she will just pick apart costumes when we're watching stuff sometimes, and... We were watching, you know, I don't remember which adaptation it was, like which story it was, but it was Regency era. And she stopped and she goes, that, that's not, that wasn't a pushy uppy situation so much as a flat and squish. So it wasn't, I'm demonstrating as though the audience will be able to see me, but <laughs> it wasn't like a this, like boosting of the bubs. Uh-huh. It was more of a squish them down and up kind of thing. That's that's the why the square necklines were really popular too. That makes sense. Yeah, if you didn't have much to work with, it kind of makes it look like you do because if if it's more of a V or a scoopy situation, like you can tell if you don't have cleavage there. Right. But with the square, the illusion <laughs> apparently <laughs> was created with the square uh, and and the squishage. I like that word. Stays. But also, it was fashionable to be heavier back then. It was fashionable to have a little more squish to your body and a lot of modern actors don't have that because because you're society not 
Right. Because freaking Hollywood, man. But like when we get this opening scene, we get this little personality showcase for each of the girls. Mm-hmm. Which I really enjoyed, I think. So we have we hear before we even see Kitty and Lydia screaming at each other over a hat and like asking mom to mediate for them <laughs> in their argument. We see Lizzie walk past the window to Daddy Bennett's office and they both roll their eyes and laugh at each other, which I think is so cute. That's in my notes as one of my favorite things because it just immediately shows their relationship and how they can, you know, laugh and relate to each other. Yeah, it does. Also, this is a big moment, listeners, because finally Molly has a physical image of Daddy Bennett. I do. I want our listeners to know that in my in my notes, so Becca and I share a notes document and in my notes I wrote, is it... <laughs> I wrote, am I crazy if I still think Daddy Bennett is hot? And she wrote, yes, but I do. I don't know why. I like, I really don't know why. But he's old. He's got these little he's round so glasses. And he's just so savage. And I love him still. <laughs> <laughs> he's got like a little Geppetto kind of thing going on where you're like, oh, you're just, aren't you cute? Yeah, like a cute old man. <laughs> now that we've established that Molly likes a man with uh, gray mutton chops. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Who doesn't? Who doesn't, truly? And the opening also very quickly with the hat establishes Lydia as the favorite of Mrs. Bennett, like really quickly, just with that hat thing. It's just like, deal with it, Kitty. Yeah, and then Kitty runs away crying and nobody cares. Poor Kitty. And then, well, even Jane and Lizzie watch her run away crying and <laughs> Lydia like puts the hat on and then Jane and Lizzie kind of like smirk at each other and then the mom, Mrs. Bennett, is like screaming, Jane, Lizzie, where are you? And they're like, ha, 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 coming, mother. And they just, like, don't really see this all as, they're just joking. Everything's funny to them, which I like. That's how it is in the book as well. But then, so they're getting ready to go to church, and that's why they were fighting over the hat in the first place. Now we get the actual start of the book where Mrs. Bennett tells Mr. Bennett the gossip that she just got about Netherfield being let at last. And what I loved about this scene is that titular line stuck in there nice and smooth when she tells him that Bingley coming is such a good thing for the girls. And Daddy Bennett's like, why would that be a good thing for our girls? And she says, so he can marry one of them. And then Lizzie goes, ah, yes, because... For a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. And I loved it. (laughs) They do occasionally give Lizzie the narration and it works really well. Absolutely. And it's delivered with the like level of sarcasm that Jane Austen intended. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which I don't think I noticed the first time I read it. Like I thought this is exactly the tone that she was trying to set. There, That just reminded me actually, there is a book called... Austin Land. And I can't remember when it came out, but it's fairly recent. I remember it being pretty funny, but they, in the book, she makes an observation about watching the movie with a lot of the narration stripped away, kind of turns it into the romance. And and, and yeah, she just notes in the book that without Jane Austen's sarcasm and funny kind of insights there, it just, it changes kind of how you perceive the story. And in that I don't know. That was just an interesting thing there. Yeah. What is that book like? A book just about Jane Austen? No. So it... the book is about a woman who's totally obsessed with the miniseries. And it's like kind of her little shameful secret that she's totally obsessed with it. And one of her relatives gives her a three-week vacation to a place where she basically gets to cosplay the Regency era. I mean, down to like actors who are who pretend to fall in love with her character and stuff. It's hysterical from what I recall. I remember it's just very 
fluffy fun and I highly recommend it. Oh my god, I love that. We should do an episode on that. We gotta get a bonus up on that. Yeah, Yeah, I think there's like the updated, the author, Shannon Hale is her name, I think, has has updated a couple of bits of the book, I believe, since it came out. It's really, really cute. I think there's a movie adaptation of it, too. It's like kind of like Westworld, but less. Yes, it is. Yes. It's like if Westworld didn't have like murder in it and instead had, you know, balls and stuff. And yeah, like Regency <laughs> or romance instead of I scary. mean, I've watched Westworld once or twice, but and I definitely think I've got a glimpse of some balls at that point. That's true. <laughs> I, yeah, I heard it as I said it. I was like, it is an HBO series. So. <laughs> anyway, so balls. Anyway, um, back to this podcast my parents listened to. Yeah. Uh, sorry, mom and dad. That brings us to the second scene, right? Pretty, oh, wait, no. You wrote a note about what Mike said about Mrs. Bennett. Oh, my Bennett. gosh. So takes on Mrs. Bennett as a character on screen as opposed to in a book are that uh, Mrs. Bennett, by like design, must have an annoying voice. <laughs> it's the <laughs> law. I was watching this with my boyfriend who has not read the book, and he just goes, that woman sounds like Miss Piggy. <laughs> and then I could not unhear it. I have a note about Ma Bennett. Do y'all think Daddy Bennett is like really into Mrs. Bennett's anxiety because he always has a little twinkle in his eye when she's chirping? Like, is this their foreplay? Absolutely. Is that why they have five kids? (laughs) I think for sure. Because I was watching, I was like, he's into it. Yeah, he loves it. And for example, when he says the thing about the girls should go to visit Bingley by themselves and she's like, go by themselves. And he's like, yes, for if you go, then he might run away with you instead because you're the handsomest of all. (laughs) I love that moment. In the book, I pictured it a lot more endearing, but I love that it's kind of like snarky. Yeah. And like, he never shuts her down when she's being all over the place. He just, he just is kind of like, all right, honey. You do you do what you need to do. Yeah, I I love their relationship, actually. I think that we, like, our arc of it throughout the book was, like, first I thought it was really cute and hot, and then I thought it was kind of abusive and annoying, and then at the end I realized that they do kind of love each other. So, yeah, I love them. I love that, too. I was thinking, it makes me think of, um, like, Fiddler on the Roof with uh, the Do You Love Me song. It's a lot like that. <laughs> do, do you know how many times I reference Fiddler on the Roof on this podcast? Oh, I did it in my notes right here, so. <laughs> yeah, it's like, literally, Fiddler on the Roof is yeah. five daughters. I'm just saying. Five daughters, five daughters. But this is also hilarious, because I actually haven't watched Fiddler on the Roof, and I have gotten chewed out for that maybe five times in the last week. Well, Becca, you're you, Jewish. Right, I was Excuse just, you. We got... <laughs> Three Jews on this podcast and one hasn't watched. We got to fix that. I think that we might need to do a bonus episode. (laughs) Me watching Fiddler on the Roof. Please. Oh, my God. I'm in for it. Yes. Anyways, Lydia just comes into the room and goes, Lord, I'm so hungry. Oh, I I wrote girl That's like a common theme for her. (laughs) Yeah, she's always hungry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. She has no impulse control. Yeah, I love her. (laughs) She's great. I hate her. I love her. So then we get into scene two and... This scene, I don't believe is in the book. Lizzie and Jane in the bedroom talking about what they hope for in a marriage. Is this in the book? The scene is actually not in the book, but it mirrors a scene in the book where Lizzie and Jane hang out after the ball. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. But it gives a little bit more of an explicit bite to their beliefs on love. It's implicit in the book. Yeah, that makes sense. So like, what happens in this scene is Lizzie and Jane are just like hanging out before bed and Lizzie is talking about how she would be so happy if someone loved her enough to take her for such a small sum of money 
and then he would be out of his wits and she could never marry a man who was out of his wits so she's gonna never get married and Jane is like well I should very much like to marry for love and it's very sweet and Jane also says that if there isn't any love and respect in a marriage, then neither party would be happy. And Lizzie says, as we have daily proof. Yet again, proving Lizzie underestimates her parents' marriage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but this is something that I think we, it took us a while to get to in the book that she like points out right away. Yes. Which I guess makes sense since this is a movie. And she says that beggars can't be choosers in who they're choosing to marry. And Jane says, Lizzie, we're not that poor. They also immediately set up the problem that the Bennets have. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which is, we need to marry for money. And it'll probably be Jane to do it. I especially like that Lizzie said that she would also really like to marry for love, but she's going to die an old maid and teach Jane's children how to embroider very well. And it was very cute. (laughs) But I really love this scene. I think it's an excellent addition. It is a little bit like we're going to tell you what the problem is here and how we're going to solve it. But I I liked it. Yeah. One of the things I think that the movie adaptation does better than the book is capture the the intimacy between Jane and Lizzie. I think that the um the 2005 movie did a good job of that as well. And they're actually that scene reminds me of some of the scenes in that movie. Totally. I totally agree with you. Like even down to the way like Lizzie's leaning on the bed. I was like that is straight up what they had Kira Knightley doing. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Mo- Molly's got like the mischievous glance of someone who's like, I want to consume all of the Pride and Prejudice content now. I do. I watched this episode <laughs> three times because I wanted to just keep watching, but I had to just keep watching this one on repeat. Oh, I so know your pain because I'm on Empty the Cues and I can't watch any more Avatar and I'm stressed. I think I need to rewatch <laughs> Avatar as well. So I think I'll do like a rewatch with Empty the Cues. There you go. I am also rewatching Avatar right now. Excellent. Well, no spoilers for Caroline. Yeah. Yep. I'm not allowed to know anything. <laughs> I will say nothing. All right. Why do you think the film goes into these things so early? Well, I guess they've got less time, right? Because they're a movie and Jane Austen kind of takes, it's a very, it's kind of like I'm reading Lord of the Rings for the first time and you have to get through a lot of like walking through the hills, (laughs) but it's true that there is a lot of description that's allowed in books and in Jane Austen, we were able to kind of like languish in that for a while before we got to the you need to marry for money. Though, actually, the marrying for love thing. Love was introduced much later in the books than I think the marrying for money was. And I also never really thought of Jane as one to say outright that she wants to marry for love because like she's not the kind of person who wants things for herself. I think you're totally right, but I think that's why this scene's so great because the only person she'll say it aloud to is Lizzie. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes Jane a little bit more endearing to have these scenes where you get to see why Lizzie loves her so much instead of just hear why Lizzie loves her. Yeah. The book has the pacing more of life then, and I think the movie tends to have the pacing of life now, if that makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. As a reader, you're going to take your time, you're going to really live in it, and you can get to things slower. But in a movie, it's like, all right. Let's go. Let's do this. We got to set these stakes and show some sexual tension. Speaking of. Speaking of sexual tension. Well, I mean, first we have the scene where you find out Mr. Bennett has indeed gone to see Mr. Bingley. Oh, yes. We have the scene where Mr. Bennett has indeed gone to see Mr. Bingley. (laughs) This is the scene where Kitty is coughing, by the way. Kitty is not sick in this movie. (laughs) And that's when Mrs. Bennett does her first, like, big 180 on 
Bingley, where she's like, I'm sick of Mr. Bingley. And then he's like, well, I've already got to see him. And she literally screams. She <laughs> freezes and her face is like a big O. Like, <laughs> And then she goes, you did what? <laughs> so and I love that for her. This is this is at the point which my mom got up and left. She was like, I can't watch this anymore. This is too annoying. <laughs> this is actually a consistent thing that people who were watching this were like, oh, I need to turn this off because this is bad. It is too annoying. But I love her. Love her. I thought she was stellar. The actress who plays her is so funny. She's hysterical. She's so funny. Yeah. And like in the book, I feel like I can be annoyed at her and not have any affection for her. But seeing her as like a person who's just so relatable and like easily excitable. Yeah. The most anxious human being on this planet. Like, I wrote, <laughs> Good night, Mama. My head is very ill tonight. I was like, She's a mood at all times. Yes, I loved that moment. <laughs> I relate so hard. Yes. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> and then when Lizzie just like closed the door on that moment, she was like, All right. Yep, it's Tuesday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now we can say, speaking of sexual tension, because we go straight into the ball at the Red Lion in the assembly rooms. Yes, uh, that is where the ball takes place. Uh, the ball is a public ball in the book, I believe. So it's not like a private ball. So it would be taking place somewhere public. I pictured the balls in much larger spaces. Yeah. I pictured a ball. See, and that's one of the things that I think is really interesting. I I, I wrote something notes-wise, kind of, because I was thinking about the set. And I said the sets in the miniseries compared to the 2005 movie are really interesting because the movie, they're more open and kind of glamorous, even when it's understated. Um, Like, even the ball is much bigger and busier and in a much more open space and I put the series feels busier and smaller but possibly more accurate I can't really speak to historical accuracy because I'm not an expert but the series feels a lot more like how it would have actually looked and felt but that movie is more like how we imagine it yeah that makes a lot of sense I in watching this series the way that the ball is set up it kind of reminded me of when I studied abroad in Russia and I went to go see Chekhov's estate (laughs) Becca's laughing at me because I talk about Russia all the time (laughs) and I was there and the rooms were tiny and the estate itself was like mostly land with like a few small buildings and you're in there and you're like you can't keep any secrets because everyone can hear everything that's happening and like that's why Chekhov is the way that it is and I felt very much like seeing this I was like interesting seeing these actual homes they kind of look like that much more closed off yeah yeah I also think if I'm correct here I think this is a specific tenant of country balls Mm, yeah that's true too so like the Bingley girls and Darcy are used to going to these big city soirees Mm -hmm. that might be a little bit more glamorous as you're picturing and that this ball is sort of as glamorous as Meryton gets. Yeah, yeah. And when they walk in the room, oh, yeah. everyone gets silent. I have a fun fact about Caroline Bingley, who my notes, by the way, say it says Caroline Binky because I could not <laughs> type because I was so excited. I just wrote, hell yeah, duck face, because if you've seen uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Oh, my not. God. Is she, she in that? that girl. She's duck face. Oh, my God. She's duck face. That's funny. You know who else she is? She plays Colin Firth's fiance in the 2003 classic What a Girl Wants starring Amanda Bynes. That's right. <laughs> I forgot that. And I had just watched that the night oh before. Oh, my God. 
surprisingly, because I was so excited about Colin. Hurt. I completely forgot. It's the same character, essentially. I mean, she's, she's very his good fiance, or she's the person who wants to be. Mm-hmm. She's probably so sweet in real life, but she's probably awesome. But she has that look where she can like be that bitch, and I feel like she gets cast as that bitch a lot. Which, I mean, at least it's gotten her famous. Hey, listen, being the typecast bitch is the best because you get to play the most fun roles. Oh, yeah. I always want to do that. No one ever cast me. Oh, my God. That was all I got. That was all I got because I had a deep voice. want to play a villain? I actually get to a little bit in a couple of things because no one's looking at me. Mm. (laughs) The struggle of being just a button like me. Oh, I'm looking at a couple buttons. (laughs) We smile a lot. Um... (laughs) So then they walk in, and we've got Caroline, we've got Bingley and Darcy, and we've got Louisa, who is, like, kind of cute. She's like, really she seems cute. sweet. I mean, she's not sweet. We know she's not sweet. She does seem, like, milder compared to Caroline. It seems the movie's really trying to push Caroline as a villain for us. Isn't that always the way? Yeah. Also, the last take that my boyfriend really shared was that everyone in this movie was played by Meryl Streep, because everyone kind of vaguely <laughs> looks like Meryl Streep. <laughs> yeah, I could see it. That's not untrue. That's so funny. <laughs> I mean, look, if Meryl Streep can play an elderly rabbi in Angels in America, she can play anybody. She could totally do the entire cast of Pride and Prejudice, and I would pay money. Exactly. I actually loved her as Colin Firth as Mr. Darcy in this. She's so good. She's so talented. Or I want to see the two Pride and Prejudices, one with all Colin Firth and one with all Meryl Streep. Yes. It could be like that thing that was going around where it's like replace everybody uh, except for one actor with Muppets, except this would be like replace everybody except for one actor (laughs) with Meryl Streep. Yes. And I would pay cash money to see it. Oh, absolutely. And she could do it because she's an icon. Also, Meryl, if you want to come on this podcast, you're welcome to do so. Always. (laughs) So Mrs. Bennett is talking to Lizzie and Jane about Mr. Darcy and how rich he is and how handsome he is. And Lizzie has a zinger that's like, I wonder if he'd be quite so handsome if he was not quite so rich. That's not in the book. Is it? No, no. It's it's just a little side commentary from the screenwriter on maybe why everyone thinks Mr. Darcy's so hot. Fair, because those mutton chops, not, not loving them. <laughs> See, I disagree. I think he's pulling them off. I pictured Colin Firth as Mr. Darcy a little bit less floofy. He's like very floofy. Oh, he's so fluffy in this movie. He's just like a fluffy little poodle. It's so cute, though. It is pretty cute. It kind of like, what are those? Is it a golden doodle? That <gasps> Yeah. Yeah. The like floofy? Yeah. yeah. See, I so feel like Bingley's got a bit more golden doodle hair, whereas Darcy's does. a bit that's more true. of an afghan. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, what I like about this adaptation is you get to see Jane and Bingley meet. Yeah, And you get to see the moment people decide that Darcy's a dick. Yeah. Yes, and he watches them decide it, too. And oh, this is what I also like kind of what I was saying about how in Chekhov the rooms are so small and that's why it is the way it is. In this, we get to see why everyone is overhearing everything everyone is saying and like how uncomfortable it is that Mrs. Bennett is talking so loudly and so shittily about Mr. Darcy. Because he's like watching. He's right there. Yeah. I was cringing. I was like, indoor voice. My God. She doesn't have one. She doesn't have an indoor voice. If I were there, I would be hiding under the table. <laughs> yeah. I And Lizzie holds it off pretty well. She like smiles and she's like, well, you know, the very rich can afford to offend a lot of people. And <laughs> she's like laughing about it, but it's very embarrassing and just not a chill vibe. And then also we get to see why it's so uncomfortable when Darcy says... She is tolerable, but not handsome enough to tempt me, because mm-hmm. Lizzie's sitting right there. Mm. But I will say about that line that 
I felt like the movie is trying to pull it off as not as mean-hearted as I had read it in the book. Like, he just seems uncomfortable. Yeah. His Darcy is interesting to me because he really is so stiff you can't get a read on him. And I, I sort of have said this about the movie versus the miniseries where the movie made it really clear that he's super anxious and you can see it. Even if the characters aren't picking up on it, you as the audience member do. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the miniseries, you can't really get a read on him and you're fully seeing him from Lizzie's perspective where you're just like, what is this dude's deal? Why is he such a dick? And it, it very slowly breaks that down. Whereas, yeah, in the movie, you can see pretty early on, it's like, oh, he's just so awkward, poor baby. (laughs) Yeah, and Colin Firth in this role, just really, I think he walks the balanced line of you could perceive that as super dickish or you could perceive that as sort of like a throwaway. Mm -hmm. And you see Lizzie internalize it as super dickish. So it gives that outside eye, whereas like... It's not quite snide if in the same way it could be perceived. Yeah, it's it's that thing where you don't know someone well enough to know how to interpret something that they said. Yes. Because we just met we the guy. We totally just met she him. She just met the guy. She didn't even really meet him because when he came over to say hello, <laughs> Mrs. Bennett tried to get him to dance with her. And she was like, you'll never meet such pretty partners. And he bows and walks away. And Bingley <laughs> is left standing there like, uh, excuse me. Our sweet curly fry. He's such a good curly fry. I love him. Oh my god. It's so good. <laughs> Another note that I had on the dance, the ball, is that we get to see Bingley and Jane dancing together and how happy they are and how Bingley keeps looking over at Darcy and being like, look how happy I am having fun dancing. And Darcy is kind of smiling and shaking his head at Bingley. Like, you can see where their friendship comes from. Darcy laughs at Bingley. Bingley tries to get Darcy to do something fun. (laughs) I really liked that. (laughs) I feel like anyone who's super optimistic and, like, chipper in real life tends to have, like, one really cynical friend. I collect cynical people, apparently. Oh, Oh, that's excellent. Somehow I'm, like, a magnet for them. They just, they, I'm, like, their one super cheerful friend. (laughs) I have... A handful of people like that. We've talked a lot on the show about how in friendships and relationships, there's kind of this balance needed. And that's why like Lizzie and Darcy make such a good match is because she's got this very extroverted, like, let me be friends with people. And he's like, don't talk to me. Yeah. If you look at if you look at the two main pairings, like you've got Lizzie and Darcy and Bingley and Jane and really personality wise, it's very catty corner. Like. Lizzie and Bingley have pretty similar personalities in a lot of ways. Jane and Darcy are not that dissimilar. So it totally makes sense. Yeah. And then Darcy and Bingley, best friends. The only really big difference is that Jane and Bingley are both sunshine people in that they both like a lot of people, even if Jane is very shy about it all. And Lizzie and Darcy both hate a lot of people. (laughs) Yeah. So you have your like sunshine couple and your venom couple. The salt friends who are just like. Exactly. They bond because they (laughs) hate the same people. Yeah. It's great. So one little study question I wanted to throw in here talking about this scene has to do with the part where you see the guys who are getting drunk standing outside. I wanted to talk about like why that was in the film and what it conveys for like the general story well it's definitely showing the country people the people who lack decorum who dance around drunk in the streets I mean when when the Bingleys and Darcy and the Hursts get out of the car or the carriage I guess they (laughs) are immediately like is this how we want to spend our night and Bingley's like oh how joyful but everyone else is like looking around like uh 
you know, and then we see them dancing and falling over. I actually thought one of them was Mr. Hurst. <laughs> and then I saw him upstairs and I was like, no, it's not him. But No, you see, you see Mr. Hurst go for the wine. But I also thought it does a good job of sort of showing like a little bit of like, you're right, it's the country bumpkin-esque thing of it. But it's also like, it gives a little bit of a class dichotomy because the people who are outside are outside drinking in the streets versus the people who are having some nice wine within the tavern itself. That makes sense. I also uh, really wanted to note quickly, because we're a couple costume geeks on here, the story that the Bingley sisters and the Bingley and Darcy costumes tell versus the costumes the Bennets are wearing and the rest of the ball's wearing. Oh, my God. The Bingley sisters, they look like peacocks walking into that ball. Yes. Because also, you look at everything from the wallpaper to the table linens, all of that has a very specific color scheme Mm -hmm. that folks who are from there really kind of melt into and fit into and they walk in and they're just like hello we clash <laughs> in the most fabulous possible way they're like wearing orange and purple and green. oh yeah i literally wrote hell yeah duck face literally no one else could pull off that dress because that color is yeah, like she looks great. you gotta be a specific shade of everything to wear that color <laughs> and it could have gone very wrong like i <laughs> not gonna happen would not work on on me but she actually really pulls it off. It is not a pretty color, Mm-mm. but it is very much like, I mean, it's literally gold. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we see you, costume designer. We see what you're doing. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Also, something that I noticed in this scene is that Darcy already kind of looks like he's in love with Lizzie, even though he literally just said the thing about her being tolerable. He already is kind of staring at her and he's like very fixated. I think he immediately regrets what he's done. Like she's so intriguing. Yeah, because she walks by him immediately after he says it too. Bold move. She's so pretty. She's so freaking pretty. I love her. I wrote in in my notes, I wrote, apparently my sexuality is just Lizzie Bennett because no matter who is playing her, I just crumble. Like I can't. That should be what our t-shirts say. There you go. My sexuality is Lizzie Bennett. Yeah, happy pride. Yeah. (laughs) Incredible. Wow. (laughs) Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. 
So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. So I think that brings us to our next scene, which is after the ball. And they come home and this is where Mrs. Bennett is telling Mr. Bennett all about the ball. And he is like, please don't tell me any more about the ball. And Lydia is sitting on the couch talking about how fat she's gotten because she ate too much because our queen Lydia (laughs) and I do really like in this moment when Mrs. Bennett starts talking about how shitty Darcy is and Lizzie gets this little smile on her face which I think is something that this actress does brilliantly the whole time is like nothing can bother her you know like she's just everything is a joke like she smiles at it she like raises her eyebrows and chuckles and Daddy Bennett is like, oh, he slighted Lizzie, did he? And she's like, it's okay, Father. I didn't really care much for him either, so yeah, it's fine. And it's just like, oh, zing. Yep. She also says in this scene when Mrs. Bennett is like, well, you should never dance with him ever again. And she's like, I can promise you I will never dance with Mr. Darcy. <laughs> Foreshadowing. And then the narrator behind her goes, the promise would not be kept later in the story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So then we get to see the Bingleys after the ball, the Bingley crew after the ball, and we get to see this interaction. This was super important. This was an interaction that we hear about later in the book, but that they've actually shown us in real time here, which is where Caroline asks Darcy if he thinks Elizabeth is a famous beauty, like they've all said that she is, and he says, I should as soon call her mother a wit. That's something that we heard about later as like a condemning feature of Darcy, right? Like in retrospect. He's so mean. (laughs) Yeah, Darcy dishes out that stuff the same way Lizzie does. I mean. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. With their powers combined, can you imagine if they had a podcast? No one would survive. Oh, my God. (laughs) There would be no survivors if they had like a gossip anything oh my god they would just take people down and it would be glorious eviscerate everyone it'd be difficult to listen to because everyone would just be like make out god no kidding make out, make out, make out. <laughs> but yeah so that was fascinating to me and also like that he doesn't really even now he still kind of seems like his heart's not in it he like still is fascinated by her which i loved then we jump back to jane and lizzie and jane is talking about how much she loves bingley and she also mentions that Darcy might even approve upon acquaintance. And Lizzie then makes a joke about, she is tolerable, but not handsome enough to tempt me. (laughs) And I loved that for her. And you can see it like, like the actress does this so well. You can see it vaguely bothers her, but she's going to joke about it to cover it up, which is a difficult thing to convey when you're acting. Like the the layers of it are so good. She's just. Yeah, she's like, oh, capital offense. Just so good. That brings us to the Lucas Lodge party, right? Oh, yes. The next party. I feel like these parties were not so close together <laughs> before, were they? It does kind of feel like it's like constant like party, partying. party, party, party. Yeah. I mean, what else? Oh, no, no, no. There was more like chill in between them. Right. For sure. This is the party where Mary is playing the piano. And this is something we talked about in- extensively in the book was that Mary was supposed to be bad at the piano. And that was what was embarrassing. But in this, what's embarrassing is that Mary's actually good at the piano. But Lydia is like... Mary, play a jig. And Mary's like, I don't want to play a jig. And then Mrs. Bennett yells, Mary, nobody wants your concertos here. God. 
So basically, this is embarrassing from a lot of different sides because even though Mary is playing well on the piano, Mary's not playing like what's supposed to be played at a party. Fair. Like she's showing her own stuff, like what she wants to do off, but it just does not fit the vibe. And it's and then there's like people yelling at her, and it's just so bad. And then Mr. William Lucas has to come over and say, Mary, it seems like everyone else's tastes aren't as refined as ours. <laughs> just play the jig. And it's just really uncomfortable. It hurts. But so <laughs> the officers are here, and we meet Colonel Forrester and Lady Forrester. And she is so much younger than him. Oh, God. I thought he was going to be, like, young and hot. Nope. She's so young. It's, like, super uncomfortable. It's gross. And I know that was not uncommon, but I was just like, huh! It's like a child bride moment. Yeah, and I had pictured them as, like, this kind of fun-loving, I don't know. I just pictured Colonel Forrester as being, like, young and hot, and he's not, and it's fine, I guess. But you know who kind of was a little hot? Denny. Denny's a little hot. Sanderson is not that hot. Which is why Lydia got Denny and Sanderson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that all happens. And this is also the scene in which we get Charlotte and Lizzie having the conversation about needing to know the faults of your husband or not, um, or your marriage partner. And Charlotte makes a note in this scene that Darcy is staring at Lizzie, which he is a lot. Charlotte is dope. In every adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. I love dope. I love dope. I love Charlotte. I tried to say I love Charlotte and it came out, I love dope. So let's just. You can love both. Blaze it. I don't know. Yeah. Woo. Charlotte's incredible. We love Charlotte. In this scene, we also witness people being mean to Sir William Lucas, which I didn't love. Specifically, Caroline and Darcy both being dicks to him he's just trying to make conversation can i just say it's really hard to share a name with a character right now (laughs) (laughs) but you know she's like got her upsides and her downs. oh no i just mean that it is confusing on occasion oh for sure for sure (laughs) no she's great yeah caroline's a bitch we don't like caroline yeah fuck caroline yeah well it's so funny because sometimes you'll like you'll say caroline and like my turn to chime in (laughs) I've been summoned. As an expert on being named Caroline, what insight can you give us into Caroline Bingley? (laughs) It's not pronounced Carolyn. That's what I got. (laughs) But I was going to say, the reason they're being such a dick to him is he's just, all he's doing is acting like he's on the same social class as them. Because he was knighted. Yeah, but here's the thing. And I understand that that is made clear because they talk about how he was probably an excellent tradesman before he was knighted. And they laugh about that. But that he's just, it seems like, oh, he is doing that, isn't he? Because he's like, I can introduce you to them, like some high up people. And they're like, sure. Okay. Which is not that bad. It's not. I didn't think about that. Yeah. But they're proud. It's in the title into your mic. Here, wait, Caroline, give us some it's in the title into your mic. It's in the title. Yes. <laughs> Back to the dance. This is the moment that starts the plot line that Caroline has a thing for Darcy. And this is the moment that I so misconstrued when I was reading the book. (laughs) When she says, he tells her that he was thinking of how the eyes of a pretty woman can be so lovely or whatever. And she says, and may I ask whose fine eyes have inspired these reflections? And I thought when I was reading it that she was just like asking and trying to wingman for him. But this, when I saw it, <laughs> she's like and licking she was like, his neck. Yeah, she's like at his neck and she's like, oh, could he possibly be me? Who's fine? Girlfriend eyes? is not subtle and you gotta respect that. Yeah, she's not subtle at all. <laughs> she is the worst at 
flirting, though, of, like, everyone in the this book. The thirstiest woman you've ever seen in the Regency era. So thirsty. And Darcy is not having it. He's like, Elizabeth Bennet. And then you just see her, like, take it like a slap in the face. She's like, oh, I am all astonishment. And that was so beautiful to see played out <laughs> for me as someone who totally had the wrong idea the first time reading the book. Also, Colin Firth could make an entire career out of staring. Oh, my God. He's so good. Oh, he has. Yeah. Like, he could literally just do a movie where he doesn't have lines. He's just looking at stuff. And it's, like, compelling. <laughs> yeah, it works. Yeah. Just, like, every time he looked at her, you could see a little bit more lust build into his eyes. Mm-hmm. It's masterful. I love him. The last thing I would say is a study question I have for the end of this scene. It's about the dancing. How you see the dancing itself in the film. Is that how you pictured the dancing looking? Yes. Really? Oh, Caroline shaking her head now. I was like, no, because I don't know these dances particularly well. Mm-hmm. So I always kind of, it always takes me aback, even though I've watched these things a million times. Because it's so much like a musical where it's like suddenly everyone knows the same dance. It's not like other balls or dance scenes where people are kind of doing the same thing, but like doing their own thing. These are such, it's, you're not dancing as a couple. Mm-hmm. You know, you're dancing as a group. And it's just, it's just funny when they're all doing the same choreography. <laughs> That's true. I actually, there was one moment where Lydia and um, Kitty and the officers started dancing and they were like, I was like, they don't even know what song Mary's going to start playing. Uh, yeah. But they all know to start dancing in a certain way. <laughs> but I, it was like the vibe that I had pictured. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad. For me, every time I watched it, I had a, a similar reaction to Caroline. I'm like, right. This dancing is a lot of choreographed bouncing in a circle. Yeah. It looks like a horror almost. Yeah, it's it does. Like a line dancer. Yes, it's like every wedding you go to where someone puts on like one of those dances. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like time for the electric slide, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And also, I'm curious about how when they actually do get to dance together, how on earth is it going to be sultry? Oh. Well, you will see. All right. So scene seven. Scene seven is, I kind of combined a lot of scenes into one because this is like the Jane goes to Netherfield portion. So she starts by getting the letter and Mrs. Bennett tells her she has to go on horseback because it looks like rain. <laughs> Poor Nellie, the horse. Oh, God. Like, where did, what happens to the horse? The horse is fine. I wrote matchmaker, matchmaker, make me catch pneumonia. Yep. <laughs> make me catch pneumonia. <laughs> Mama and Yenta should hang. Also, just I love the image of Jane on the horse because you just see it on her face where she's like, well, I guess this is for love. (laughs) She's having her John Mulaney, this might as well happen moment there. Exactly. (laughs) But then when she's there, her illness is just like being lightheaded or something. Yeah. She's at dinner and, and they're like talking to her and they're like, so where is your uncle? They're talking to her like she's an idiot they're like where's your uncle from and she's like oh i'm sick and and then they bring her upstairs oh my god and the way that they're like go get some help yeah she's like (laughs) what's his name um it was like something very butler from the early oh yeah yeah like the butler's name (laughs) but i really i didn't like how the sisters were talking to her in that scene and then we jump back to daddy bennett giving the iconic well if Jane dies from this fever, at least it was all by your design and it was all to win the attentions of this man. <laughs> Chef's kiss. Beautiful. So good. <laughs> and Lizzie says that she wants to go to Netherfield and we have that little back and forth where she says she needs to walk 
and Lydia and Kitty will walk with her as far as Meriton. And Lydia says, oh, yes, let's catch Denny before he gets dressed. How shocked he will be. And then she and Kitty go, um. <laughs> and it's so weird. Yeah, that's also a weird prank to pull at anybody. Uh-huh. Yeah, like maybe don't, maybe don't do that. Perhaps. Just a thought. Just a thought. But I just love maybe that they don't. were like, mmm. Ooh, he won't be dressed. <laughs> yeah, they're 15 years old. But And this is Regency era England. Yeah. By the way. Not a One Direction concert. It is funny, though, how often, like, Kitty and Lydia go between being, like, besties and at each other's throats. Yes. I did like that the movie showed us that a little bit, mm-hmm. or the series. It's such a sibling relationship. Oh, yes. yes. So... Then we get to see Lizzie walk to Netherfield, and she is quite a mess, covered in mud. And she bumps into Darcy on the grounds. And this was a nice addition Mm -hmm. by the movie. Yes. (laughs) I felt like this was like, we need to see him thirsting after her a little bit more so that the audience can be more on the same page. Oh, yes. Oh, and we see Does he ever. God. (laughs) He's like, like you can see the the, like heart-shaped thumping in his chest if it were a cartoon. Yeah, like that cartoon where yeah. it's like <laughs> And I also like took note they like made her sweaty and flushed. Yeah. It's like very sexy. Yeah. Yo, he's so into it. <laughs> it's so funny. Then she goes inside to see Jane and the first thing that we see is the Bingleys talking shit about how gross she looked and <laughs> how her uncle lives in Cheapside and then Bingley says they would both be just as agreeable to him if they had enough uncles to fill all of Cheapside. And then Darcy goes on a little rant about how their connections mean that they will never marry well. And that is just the material fact of it. And he's just telling himself that as much as he's telling Bingley. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that maybe this was mentioned in the book, but this was like brilliantly done because he's being angsty and whatever. And also still in love trying to like convince himself a little bit there (laughs) fully yeah absolutely also bingley shows a bit more backbone in this part Mm Hmm. yes that's something that the he's kind of shown a little bit more backbone in this entire thing so far he goes up to darcy at the dance and he's like i must have you dance and then after the dance he's like i don't know why you're so committed to hating everybody and everything and we get to see this back and forth between him and Darcy a lot more. And in this moment, he he does show that he likes Jane. He likes Lizzie. He says that Lizzie coming here showed a great deal of affection for her sister. Yeah, I just, I love him. And then there are dogs outside also. That's yes, just so at one point in time in this podcast, Molly asked me, where are the dogs? And I said to her, there definitely are dogs. You're just not hearing about them. But they're there. They're there. And I love that we get to see them <laughs> just running around. They go, like, hunting with them. And we're going to see a really great dog in a little bit. But yes. before we get there, <laughs> Lizzie gets dressed for dinner and says to Jane, will I disgrace you, do you think? Which shows that she's, like, caring what they think about her. And then she's wandering around the house and she walks in on Darcy playing pool by himself. It's, like, the weirdest thing to do completely alone. It's so weird. And, like, why is he, like, why? Just why? Why? It has to be the least fun hobby of all time. Just, like, consider whether or not your lust for a girl with inferior connections is going to overcome 
your knowledge that you have to marry Anderberg mm -hmm. while you're just hitting really hard ceramic balls with a wooden stick alone. Uh-huh. Yes. There's symbolism we yep. can glean from it. For sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like it's not yes. it's not super subtle. Yeah. <laughs> If this were my one of my college English classes, they'd have been like, and what does that represent? Yeah. <laughs> it represents an erection and wanting to put his balls in her holes. It means he's masturbating. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> and she just turns around and he like bows and she turns around and walks away. Leaving him to his balls. Yes. And then we have the scene where they are in the drawing room and Caroline is trying to flirt with Darcy and Darcy is trying to... <laughs> He tries to talk to Lizzie. When she just yeets that book. Was that when she just yeeted the book? <laughs> no, I think that's in a little bit. Oh, that's when later. When they take a turn about the room. That's right. Yeah. That's right. This is when they're playing cards and Lizzie doesn't want to play cards. And, oh, this is when they have the conversation about accomplished young ladies. Yes. And Lizzie is surprised that Darcy knows any accomplished young ladies. And everyone is being just mean to Lizzie. And she's taking it like a champ. Yeah, you really get the sense of how uncomfortable it is for her to be at Netherfield mm -hmm. in this scene. Yeah, They're like, oh, maybe you don't have the advantage of moving about in society enough to understand what we're talking about. And she's like, all right. God, cool. The difference is Jane's like, oh, I, I suppose not. And Lizzie's like, yeah, sure. And then she just goes back to reading. Yeah. My friend called that scene the stuck at Thanksgiving with your Republican relative scene where you're just like, uh-huh, okay. Hardcore. I guess we're, we're not going to fight over the, you know, over top of this plate, but <laughs> showing remarkable restraint. She's just like going to sit down and like. And it has that vibe too of like the after dinner when you're like still having to hang out, but you don't really yeah. want to. Because like it's too early to go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. And Darcy's writing a letter to Georgie in this scene also. That's, That's right. Another thing to note. Sowing the seeds. The introduction of the idea of Georgie. I liked when Caroline Bingley said, oh, is Georgie grown much since I've last seen her? Is she as tall as me? And then he's like, she's about Lizzie Bennet's height. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, uncomfortable. He just has no clue. None. None. The man is so oblivious. Caroline, uh, back me up here. I think it's hilarious that Mr. Darcy is one of the most iconic heartthrobs of all time when he is a human disaster. Well, I think that's why, though, because it's like, oh, I know this guy. I've met this guy. Probably fallen in love with. It's kind of endearing. Almost anyone who has ever, like, had a crush on someone who was kind of a tough nut to crack is like, oh, I know this one. Oh, yeah. I know this song and dance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> So we have, this is a set design question. Ah. Yay. I'm like going in full movie analysis now. Ooh. Uh, so the set design of Netherfield is really distinct from the set design of Longmorn. You can see it in how they like the spaces, how they've tailored the backgrounds, the art they have around, and how people are dressed there. What does each setting say? And how does it, how does it compare to what you pictured those places looking like? Interesting. I've noticed that at Longbourn so far we've met Mrs. Hill and also the space is like very light color, like everything's light, pale, blues, whites, what have you. And then at Netherfield, there's like a bunch of nameless servants wearing like coats, like red coats almost, just around. And everything is kind of red, like deep colors, like red and green and gold and candlelight and lots of rooms and stairs and stuff that we don't really see at Longbourn. And I don't know how I pictured it, to be completely honest. It is interesting because it gives you, I think you really get the sense of how big the place is by how little of it you see. Mm. Because we see most of 
Longbourn. I mean, we get to see pretty much everything there. Even just in the scene when Lizzie's saying goodnight to everybody, you see so much of the house. Yeah. But then with Netherfield, it, it's like, it is way too big. And you still see feel like you've seen so much of it. But like, you know, there's all these doors and halls leading to things that you don't, we never get to explore. So it gives you a good sense of scale, I think. Um, yeah, there is a moment, in this moment actually, in this the scene where she's looking for where everyone's hanging out and she like walks into a bunch of different rooms like poking her head around trying to find the drawing room and she walks into the billiards room and that's where she finds Darcy and like there's no billiards room at Longbourn. Absolutely. Also like the art around I noticed that Netherfield has just a bunch of statues of classical figures around the house (laughs) and that's just like a sign of like ostentatious wealth yeah compared to like the clean upper middle class lifestyle of the Bennets. Mm -hmm. yeah I feel like they've got some landscapes around but nothing too fancy also I noticed out Netherfield there's the main house that's like a big brick thing and then when they were driving away at the end I there was another building right next to it is that their neighbors or is that another part of Netherfield I presume it's another part of Netherfield. Because it would be weird if there was another house right there. No, yeah, definitely. I think it was kind of like on Downton Abbey when they had the Dowager's estate or whatever it was called, where Maggie Smith's character lives, where it's like kind of part of it, but it's removed. It's separate. She doesn't live in the main house, but she still has her grand estate, (laughs) her little cottage. Gotcha. Uh, (laughs) I should watch that show. It's fun if you enjoy this kind of thing. (laughs) So that brings us to scene eight, which is... The last scene that I have demarked, demarcated (laughs) in my notes. This is when Kitty and Lydia and Mrs. Bennett come to Netherfield and everyone's like, well, everyone, meaning Caroline Bingley, is like, oh, God. (laughs) And it's very embarrassing because she comes to Netherfield and is going at Darcy's throat. And it's so awkward. And this is where Lizzie defends him. And now I understand why she defends him. Because when I was reading the book, I remember being like, why is she defending him? But it makes sense. I actually went back over our notes from when we read this part of the book. And you you really were like, but like, does she like Darcy? Why is she being nice? And I was like, no, this is just really bad societally. Super embarrassing. And then this is also the moment where Bingley says that he would want to stay forever if he could. And Darcy says the society is confined and unvarying. And that's when Mrs. Bennett starts going at him. And this is also when Lydia goes right up to him and is like, you promised to give a ball (laughs) and you better not break your promise. And he is so kind. Bingley, not Darcy, Bingley. And is like, you can pick the day of the ball. I love love that so much. (laughs) Charles Bingley. Yeah. I just love Bingley. Yeah. We stand a sweet boy. Sweet curly fry. Our little curly fry. I love him. I love him. Oh, he really is just a curly fry. Yeah. It's just true. Oh, I just adore him. Um, but I do, I that, that is such a sweet thing, though, too, because, I mean, he spent presumably a lot of time around Darcy's sister as well, and you can tell, like, he knows how to talk to people that age, and he knows how to be, like cool older brother type. Oh my god, he's definitely the cool uncle for Georgie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shouts, because like they always talk about how Bingley, they want Bingley and Georgie to get together. <gasps> I forgot that that was a plot line. <gasps> oh yeah. I don't like it. But you can see the appropriateness of how Bingley talks to teenage girls and you're just like, oh no, you, you want an age-appropriate lover. I see you. Yeah. Yeah. I see you, man. <laughs> it's nice. Yeah. He clearly sees her as a child, and thank God. Yes. 
Unlike some people that we haven't met yet in this mm, episode. Yeah. <laughs> then we have my favorite part, probably, of this whole thing. Darcy taking a bath. Yes! Okay, I've been waiting for you to get yeah. to this because, oh my god, <laughs> several notes like it's so (laughs) random I love though one of the things I really like about the mini series is that because it's longer than a standard movie it has so much time for these little private moments like Darcy in the bath that kind of we get these little kind of everyday moments that really kind of show a little more of what life was like at the time and then we get the whole you know let's look out the window and Think about our love. Mm-hmm. While wet from the bath. Good God. He's wet from the bath. He gets dumped the water on him. He gets out of the bath. He does not tie his bathrobe shut. Mm-mm. And then Mm-mm. he goes. So he's just he's just hanging free. He's just letting it all hang out. Standing in front of a window. Yep. And Lizzie <laughs> is out there playing with good, good spot. The best good boy. dog. Oh, my God. I love a dog that's the size of a couch. So He's literally it comes up to her waist. He's so cute. I mean, honestly, any person playing with that dog in front of me, I would instantly fall in love with them. Oh, my God. I mean, it's so sweet. And and I, I do like that moment very, very much because, of course, it shows that Lizzie's such a free spirit and, you know, she's running around and playing. And you can see the gears turning in his head just like, oh, someday she could play with our children like this. Like, you see it happening in real time yes. and the best part about it is that one part of his head is doing that and the other part of his head is going oh my god no stop thinking that Darcy no. stop it stop it <laughs> yeah exactly and it's just wonderful to watch he's gonna go play some pool later is all I'm saying yep yes he is yeah I think that what the movie does really well that's harder to do in the perspective of the book is really build and flesh out how Darcy's feelings grow. And I think that the miniseries in particular has the time to do that and does it through, like Caroline said, these little moments of watching him stand fully nude in front of a window <laughs> watching Lizzie play with a giant dog. Yeah. yeah. And then we have the other best moment where they're hanging out in the drawing room again and Caroline is <laughs> reading a book or Yeets the book. has a book in her hand but she's flipping the pages backwards and then she just she's not reading that throws it away <laughs> yeah isn't reading fun that lean I was like work that lean girl you know what you're doing yeah she leaned right over him she's trying so hard to get him to notice her and he is just not looking she's on top of him and he is not looking at her so she goes over to lizzie blocking wise it's interesting because that's an incredibly like immodest thing like by even by today's standards it's a little like girl yeah whoa. <laughs> down girl yeah yeah so it's interesting to see it applied because when you when you get into the mindset of like the regency era all the things that they find shocking you start to find shocking and so like when she's leaning like that i was like oh <gasps> you know clutching my pearls exactly. yes and <laughs> I think that Lizzie sees everything that's going on here because then when Caroline asks her to take a turn about the room, because it's so refreshing, she's like, uh, she's like, I know exactly what you're trying to do right now. And even Darcy starts to pick up on what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Darcy knows right away. He's like, they're like, will you walk with us? And he's like, no, that would defeat the purpose because you obviously want me to admire your bodies. And I'm going to do that from over here. And he has this little smile on his face when he says it. That is so adorable oh I thought you were gonna say hot because I thought it was hot (laughs) it was hot you got a glimpse into Darcy like why people actually do like him here you know the ice is chipping away the tiniest bit and it's like oh okay that's why Bingley hangs with this guy because sometimes he's really funny (laughs) 
Right. Because when he's in groups of people he doesn't know, he doesn't do very well. And we know that about him because we've read the book, but he hasn't read the book. And <laughs> Lizzie hasn't read the book, so she doesn't know that he does better when he's in Our poor group. social anxiety boy. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have this talk about pride where Lizzie and Darcy get into this discussion about their flaws. She says she wants to tease him for his flaws. Caroline says he's perfect. He has no flaws. Lizzie's like, yes, he does. And he's like, yes, I do. I have a bad temper. And my good opinion, once lost, is gone forever. That's what he says. And then Lizzie says, that is a fault indeed, but I cannot laugh at it. And then he talks about pride. So he does talk about pride in the book, but I wanted to bring this up as a study question because we get introduced to these deeper concepts of pride earlier on. Mm -hmm in the book Mm -hmm. with Mary and Charlotte and Lizzie. Right. They talk about vanity versus pride way earlier on. And this is now brought up for the first time. Lizzie says to Darcy that vanity and pride are like deeper faults. And he says vanity is a fault indeed, but pride is not always a fault because if it's well-founded, it can be a good thing. And Lizzie then says his real fault is a propensity to hate everyone. And he says that hers is to willfully misunderstand them. And it's very hot. (laughs) They have such intense chemistry. And this is, I think, I mean, you see it a little bit early. But when they start having these quips back and forth, I think you really see that palpable sexual tension between these two. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Especially because the rest of the room keeps going and they just keep staring at each other. After this exchange, Caroline is like, shall we have some music? And she starts playing the piano and they're just like staring into each other's eyes. Like, they're not even hearing that music. They're just like, yes. And then the next morning, Jane and Lizzie leave and Lizzie is like, never been more happy to leave a place in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and Bingley is like, smitten with Jane when he's saying goodbye they have this awkward like smiling at each other and she's like okay bye like okay I love you bye I can see now Jane is not really showing her emotions she doesn't let it reach her eyes she smiles at him but she's not fully there which she's very I think she is she's just so shy yeah she doesn't want to get hurt it's so funny though because they are so cute they're very much they're like no you hang up exactly couple oh my god yes they're sickeningly cute and that's what's happening at the carriage window he's like all right well and she's like thank you very much for your kindness and they just won't say goodbye (laughs) it's like the end of the date they don't want to say goodbye yeah it's so cute one last thing i wanted to point out is that there's this moment towards the end where caroline's like thank god they're gone Mr. Darcy, I'm sure you're mourning the loss of Elizabeth Bennet's eyes. And he says, actually, quite the opposite. Yeah, I noticed that, too. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's trying to cover up for how he's feeling. I think in that moment, what he's saying is that it's a good thing that Elizabeth Bennet left because he's so in danger of falling in love with her. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, it's a little of column A and a little of column B, probably. Because, mm-hmm. like, shut up, Caroline. But then it's also, like... Oh, thank God. Maybe I'll be okay now. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's something that he actually does a lot in this episode where Caroline will ask him questions trying to egg him on and he'll give her the answer that she wants to hear. But it doesn't seem like he's fully, it seems like it has some sort of double meaning or he's not fully in it, which I like. Yeah, I I think with Darcy, like he's not a deceptive person. So I think that he's more, you know what I mean? Like he's not going to lie to you, but he will maybe omit some truths. Yes. It's like the difference between being secretive versus being private, and he's extremely private. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And he has been around these very nosy people his whole life. Oh, yeah. Right. All right. That concludes episode one of the 1995 adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Ah! Guys, we did it. We did it. We did it. And that brings us to some questions I have for you guys as we're wrapping up right now. So question one is, what was your favorite line delivery or favorite line from the series? I think my favorite is, good night, mama. My head is very ill tonight. I think that's my favorite. Just because it's so. That's a very good Just one. the way she says, my head is very ill. It's just like, yeah, girl, I know. <laughs> Phenomenal. <laughs> Mine are tied. The, one of them might be for a single man in possession of a good fortune. Must be in want of a wife. But I have another one, which is when Jane says, I should very much like to marry for love because after she says love she does this little yikes face where she goes oh yeah uh man our, our listeners can't see me do that yeah no, no graham's <laughs> gonna yell at you yeah but it's like for love yikes like oops sorry i said that and i thought that was pretty funny excellent yeah. there's also that that line that lizzie says and i like her delivery of it very much with um handsome too which young man ought to be if he possibly can the way she says it is just so funny and i'm like please be my best friend i love her (laughs) she's just great awesome so question number two what's your favorite notable addition to the story that the movie has but the book doesn't the dog bath (laughs) (laughs) the dog that dog is a star that dog is great i love all the dogs i love darcy taking a bath and i love darcy playing pool by himself yeah. yeah. Excellent. Yeah. The, just the little life moments are so great. I love that. They they tell a lot very quickly. Yeah. Excellent. And then finally, uh, favorite and least favorite parts of this film so far? That's hard. It's so hard. <laughs> it's, it's all so good. There was like one part where I was kind of bored for a least favorite. Like my least favorite part is unfair because <laughs> it's not the movie's fault. It's just that I have such a problem with secondhand embarrassment. That, like, every time the Bennets start acting up, I'm just like, no! <laughs> so. <laughs> That's fair. That's very fair. I-, I will take it. I think my least favorite part was the time when they're at Netherfield, the first time they're in the drawing room playing cards together because it wasn't, there was nothing saucy going on there. Very fair. That was kind of boring. Favorite part? Honestly, I mean, there was so many good parts of it, but that opening sequence of getting to meet everyone brought me so much joy, and I was just smiling like an idiot, and I turned to my mom, and I was like, I really like Jane Austen. Am I a nerd? And she was like, yes. (laughs) I love that. I like that, too, very, very much, and I swear my favorite part is literally just Caroline Bingley flinging the book away. Like, it's just such a great physical (laughs) comedy bit. It's so iconic. It's so funny, and it's one of those things I'm like, I wish I had directed that moment because it is so funny. It's 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 just quick, and if you blink, you miss it, and it's brilliant. What I liked the best about it is that before she does it, she has the book in her hand, and she's not looking at it, and she's turning the pages the wrong way. <laughs> it's phenomenal. <laughs> like, no one's going to notice. It's like, girl. That is the level of thirst that we all need to have. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. That concludes this episode of Pot and Prejudice. Caroline, thank you so much for joining us. Do you want to plug your social media and podcast? Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. I will. I could talk about Jane Austen all day. Oh, my day. God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my Twitter account is at 
Saucy Minx, which is M-I-N-C-K-S. And yeah, uh, the shows that I help create, you can follow on Twitter as well. I have Scary Stories for Modern Minds, which is at Scary Modern Pod. I've got Seen and Not Heard, which is at Seen Not Heard Pod. Uh, Hughes and Minx is at Hughes and Minx. That one's easy. And then Light Hearts is at Light Hearts Pod. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us again. This has been an absolute blast. Yeah, we could not have asked for a better first guest on the pod. Thank you. This was fun. Any time. Seriously, any time. Yeah, I want to get you back for Sense and Sensibility because I believe that's how I discovered that you love Jane Austen as well. Oh, incredible. It's I'm not going to say anything about it. Oh, please get me off of that. (laughs) Amazing. Oh, my God. It's so hard not to. (laughs) Welcome to my life, Caroline. Oh, I had one thing that I meant to tell you, though. I also wrote Bingley would be a theater kid in a modern high school setting discussed. Oh that God. was the last thing I wrote on my notes. That is exactly <laughs> accurate. Bingley would be the guy who was on the sports team, but also did the fall musical and like always played the lead and was friends yep. with the theater And he's kids. like humble about it. He's the Troy. Yeah. Oh, he's Troy. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Pride and Prejudice, <laughs> but... As High School Musical? No, no, no. We're not going down this rabbit hole. I mean, wow. There's a Twitter thread for you. Yeah, I'm. That's a, that's a Twitter thread. That <laughs> you've given us a lot to think about, Carol. Yeah. Thank you. Amazing. <laughs> All right, guys. That's this episode of Pod and Prejudice. Until next time, stay proper. Find yourself a, a Caroline who's not Caroline Bingley. Find yourself anyone but Caroline Bingley, or find yourself a Caroline Bingley. If that's your thing. Find yourself a giant. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our beautiful show art is designed by Torrance Brown. To learn more about our show and our team, you can check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you like what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.